I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Hello. Hello. Now, we we need to start by addressing a little political rumour this week. Yes. So I I think this started, I don't know if it was in the New Statesman's political gossip or somewhere, and it started to spread elsewhere, but there there is a rumour that Ed is is considering a return to front bench politics and we've had uh, a, a, an amount of email by which i mean an email from listeners saying does this mean the end of the podcast and we just want to quash this rumor straight away i mean what's happened it was news to me i must say yeah. this rumor was really news to me i'm 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 sort of carrying on doing what i'm doing yeah there's there's been a misunderstanding it's me that is considering yes from yes. bench politics Nobody's, but i wanted to keep it quiet yeah, no one's considering somebody's, me somebody's got the wrong end of the stick yeah no but, but i think it is true isn't it that you're being i'm considering thought, it you're being thought about as part of a heading up a government of national unity the, the jeffocracy <laughs> yeah, could, exactly. could become a reality exactly exactly so you know no just, no, no. We're, we're we're staying together yes yeah there are no cracks in this relationship no definitely not yeah definitely not <laughs> uh so good that's the dress yes and uh, we no got need for a withdrawal agreement no because <laughs> uh, uh, those always go so well don't they exactly yeah um so we've got a lot to get through this week yeah uh, there's, there's lots on the podcast uh, so we should start by telling you what our theme is yes and we're talking about something which is quite serious which is the death penalty and efforts to abolish it in various countries there's been news in the last week that malaysia uh, which has kind of got a lot of people, more than a thousand people on death row, is going to abolish the death penalty. We're going to be talking to somebody from Malaysia about how that has come about. And then we'll be talking to two people from Reprieve, which is an organization that campaigns in the UK and elsewhere against death penalty. It's run by somebody who used to work for me and a yearly part of the long line of 
ex-employees who've gone on to better things. She's going to be talking about their work in other countries to abolish the death penalty. And I promise you there are reasons to be cheerful. Yeah, it, it sounds a bit great. Yep. But if you yep. think about the way this has moved yep. uh, in, in recent It's part years. of progress in a world that feels like things are going backwards. Beautifully put. And uh, as well as that, we're going to be joined by comedian Lauren Patterson, who's going to be pitching us some ideas. What's your reason to be cheerful? Uh, just a little one from me this week. Yes. I have managed to acquire tickets to go and see Jerry Seinfeld next year. Wow. Which is, you know, one of my favourite comedians. I love that sitcom. Yes. It's my favourite sitcom of all time. I love his uh, web series that he does, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. And I just think he is a stand-up master. He is so precise. So I'm very much looking forward to that. I've got two tickets. And you never know, Ed. Whoa. If, if, if you know, you've invited George Ezra, but if he, if he can't make it <laughs> at the moment, it's a two way runoff between you and my wife. So oh, no, no, no. It's whoever she, curries my no, favor the most, she's got to win. I we'll, think we'll see. She, she, she's got to yeah. win. Maybe, uh, maybe you'll invite me to the leisure center as a second prize. Let it go. Um, what's, uh, what's, what's your reason to be cheerful? My reason to be cheerful is something which is sort of anniversary ish, which is that mm, this week, it's 10 years since the Climate Change Act was passed by the House of Commons and came into force. Uh, the Climate Change Act was something which was introduced by my brother, completed its passage under me when I was the Climate Change Secretary. It is generally seen as sort of world leading because it committed Britain by law to cut its carbon emissions by 80% with an independent body uh, giving advice to government about how it could meet these targets. It's been emulated in different countries around the world in different ways. And I'm, I'm not doing it simply as a humble brag, although maybe that's a little bit of it. I'm more doing it because I think I, I think there's two things. One, partly because of the Climate Change Act, we have made progress as a country. So emissions in the UK are back to the levels they're at in 1890, which is good. But also, we need renewed momentum in this. Because if we're honest, climate has really slipped down the political agenda for all kinds of reasons. And I think it is really, really important that we ramp up the agenda on this. I, I, I can't help thinking that the key to this is making economic and social justice part of environmental justice. So not just making it about don't we need to save the planet, but don't we need to make society fairer and better at the same time as saving the planet. I think that's in a way one of the things that's been a little bit missing from some of the campaigning. Reasons to be cheerful, a podcast about ideas with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. We're joined now by Sivan Dorisami, Executive Director of Swaram, a leading human rights organisation in Malaysia. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So tell us, first of all, what's the history of the death penalty in Malaysia? In Malaysia, death penalty has always been the facet of the criminal justice system in Malaysia. The penal code which Malaysia imported from India, which was introduced by the British during the colonial era, was maintained uh, throughout the years and extended to the security offences within the country. So in general, uh, death penalty is often associated with the four offences, murder, firearm-related, drug trafficking and uh, kidnapping, which led to death. And at the moment, there are at least uh, 1,279 inmates on death row, with most of them on the death row for tra uh, drug offences, around 932. So the next largest uh, majority of the death row inmate uh, would be uh, death row for murder. And I think I'm right in saying that it was mandatory for certain offences up to now in Malaysia, yeah? That's right, yeah. 
So death sentence is always um, uh, mandatory, especially for this uh, for murder firearms related and also drug trafficking and kidnapping, which led to death. So this is mandatory death sentence. And now we've got to the situation where the government of Mr. Mahathir recently elected has said it's going to abolish the death penalty. Tell us how this has come about. Abolishing uh, capital punishment, there's always an ongoing campaign uh, in, in Malaysia uh, especially from the civil society. But now, uh, after the government change, Mahadev's political allies, allies, there's many of them were previously from the opposition, who and some of them are working, uh, worked with us on the campaign against death penalty. So now they are with the government, with the Mahadev's uh, cabinet. They still hold on to the aspiration and advocating for both uh, in parliament and in cabinet to abolish death penalty. I think so that's the change how it happened and it's uh, everything come into places now. Does it need legislation to go through Parliament to make the abolition happen? Yes, that's right. So that's the ongoing campaign. So probably this will be tabled next Parliament sitting uh, and, and there is um, issues uh, and campaigns already in the, in the public for the abolition of the death penalty. And what is it that has brought the campaign to this point? of the government committing to the abolition of the death penalty, even though the legislation has still got to get through. How do you think this has come about, apart from having these opposition parties part of it? it what, what has been the, what has had the biggest impact with the public? Okay, first, how the government came, the idea of abolishment is already there with the previous government. But we couldn't see much of the political will. Sometimes they say they're going to table in the parliament and then they backtrack a few times. So this been ongoing and then after some time they said, okay, let's start with the drug, uh, drug offenders, drug related uh, cases. So probably there will be a discretionary power rather than mandatory uh, death sentence for the drug offenders, drug related offenses. But after the change of government, again, those in the cabinet now, those with the new government are also people who've been campaigning against death sentences before. So they were together with the civil society. They were advocating on the on the, on on uh, campaigns. So now they are with the government. So it made much easier for them to push forward the already on the table of abolishing death penalty. So that made it easier. So now it's already in the parliament. They already start talking about uh, the abolishing death penalty. Uh, the prime minister have promised this uh, death penalty will go, but. The public sentiment on the death penalty need to be tackled. So, so this is very important again. Uh, there is a need to be a holistic engagement with the members of public to ensure that the people understand the concern on death penalty and why it needs to go. Uh, this cannot be mere death penalty is unjust and thus must uh, be done with. Uh, it's too straightforward for them to, to, to accept and understand. But it must be a holistic discussion on how Restorative justice serves better than a retributive justice and enlighten them, the public, on how there are alternatives. And second is a bipartisan support for the death penalty would likely be present in the most countries uh, who are still maintaining the death penalty. The government of the day should not seek to hog all the glory in abolishing death penalty and suffer political back backlash when the move is seen as bipartisan. So bipartisan support would strengthen the move for abolishment and would more, uh, more effectively reach out to the general public and uh, internationalize, internationalize understanding 
of the reasons for abolishing death penalties. When you talk about public sentiment, how far off are the public on this? If you look at percentages in in polling, um, what percentage of the public are opposed to the death penalty? I think it, it's it's like still 50-50, but it, it's also sometimes when you have cases, like one of the recent cases is like rape of a child and then right. she, and the, the baby died. So right. this guy is supposed to be the guardian and he raped the baby and the baby died. And then now everyone thinking like, okay, th- you need to exception some cases, you really need uh, impose uh, death uh, penalty. So now if you do the survey now, probably there will be uh, imbalance in terms of uh, for the death penalty and uh, against the death penalty. As an experienced campaigner on this, what is the argument that has been most effective at persuading the public that Malaysia should abolish the death penalty? So the, the biggest argument is you put forward some cases which uh, there is a new evidence led to clear his case, but once you already impose the death sentence, you can't reverse it. So so that's what another argument that people said, OK, yeah, that, that makes sense. You know, sometimes there's not enough um, evidences, but then you already sentenced them to death, uh, like a few one or two cases in Singapore. And then sometimes then you have a better evidence or new evidence, you know, with the technology, then you find out, OK, so there's a there's no a clear case, but you can't reverse the decision anymore. The other issue for Malaysia in terms of uh, death sentences, okay, we have um, uh, down south, Singapore is a neighboring country. So they've been like using death sentences in many cases, especially drug-related cases. And then in some cases, the offenders are not Singaporean, they are from Malaysia. So they they traffic the drug and then they got uh, hanged in Singapore. But the same argument, this is a universal call. So we hope few countries in this region will follow suit uh, once Malaysia uh, have abolished this uh, capital punishment. So there are countries like uh, Singapore, Indonesia, Laos probably will follow because um, it, it's, it's, it's a global trend. Uh, many countries are slowly abolishing capital punishment. So that's the big hope. Sivan Dorisami, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. We're delighted to be joined by Maya Foa and Anna Yearly from Reprieve. Hello. Hello. Now, before we get started, Anna, you, you used to work for Ed, but you decided to do something a bit easier, so working to abolish the death penalty globally. That must be less challenging than <laughs> exactly. working with Exactly. I think it's quite telling that I left working for Ed to try and end the death penalty and shut Guantanamo Bay, and that somehow I thought that would be more fun <laughs> and a little bit easier. You're uh, part of a sort of long line of people who have gone on to great and successful things since leaving working for me. Yes, yeah, sort of long line of people, but the last person to be invited on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I actually first met Ed quite a lot before I started working for him. And I went up to help him. You're not going to mention office. the brown suit, are you? I have got pictures of that brown suit, which is basically my retirement fund. Yeah. <laughs> it was a brown corduroy suit. <laughs> I think we still got it. It's when they were in. It's amazing. It's amazing. So I went up to help Ed set up his constituency office. I did. I came up to Doncaster and spent two weeks seeing the sights of Donnie. And I remember you took me to the Greyhound racing. Do you remember that? And that is when I first saw Ed dance. And we we had a little buffet and we had a disco. Do you remember? And I we put on I think um what was it called Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. How did I do? I think that was when I realised that you needed to be Prime Minister. <laughs> I, thought, I thought seeing you dance was the moment I thought this man has to be 
Because Must have inflicted on the country. Yeah. 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 Why not? Well, I mean, I'd like to see. I've heard him sing karaoke, but I'm. Quite... It's basically about the level he sings karaoke. Right, okay. It's kind of a similar. Well, uh, relatively low, I would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, so we should probably ta- start by uh, talking about Reprieve for people who don't know about the work you do. Can you tell us a little about it? Yeah, Reprieve is a legal organisation and we work on the death penalty globally and we also work on abuses in counterterrorism like Guantanamo Bay, assassinations, drone attacks, that sort of thing. And we were really cheery. (laughs) (laughs) We were founded by Clive Stafford Smith uh, nearly 30 years ago. 20 years ago. I mean, time flies when you're having fun, guys. (laughs) It's really 20 years ago. And Anna joined us three three years ago. And they wanted someone with a sense of humour. Wanted someone with a sense of humour. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Lighten the mood a bit no we have lots of fun in the office but we do lots of very serious work as well i just i think lots of our listeners will have this position but it's kind of some may not and it's it's worth setting it out why is the death penalty a bad thing so for me, actually, this is really interesting. When I came for my interview at Reprieve, because Reprieve has a quite a sort of non-hierarchical structure, I was interviewed by the people I would be managing. That was a kind of key part of my interview. And Maya asked me this question, actually. She said to me, why do you think the death penalty is wrong? And there's this amazing lawyer in America called Brian Stevenson, and he, he founded an organisation called the Equal Justice Initiative, and they do a lot of work around um, the racial bias of the US justice system. And he, I heard him speak on, I saw him on YouTube, and he's got this amazing quote, which is each of us is better than the worst thing we've ever done. And I think about that all the time. And if you think... It's a similar quote to Sister Helen Prejean, who's the amazing Catholic nun in the States who campaigns against the death penalty. And she was the inspiration for the film Dead Man Walking. And she always talks about you being the better than the worst 15 minutes of your life. And I think about that a lot. I mean, the worst 15 minutes of your life, Ed, I think probably where you ate that bacon sandwich. <laughs> oh, <thank you. laughs> I mean, the dancing sounds yeah. pretty yeah. bad. The dancing was pretty bad, but yeah. on reflection, I think the bacon sandwich right, was probably okay, the worst. Thanks. But I, when thanks I go for into... bringing that up. <laughs> I know, I thought we needed to mention it. Exactly. We're back to the death penalty, I know, I know. back we? to the death penalty. <laughs> And so for, for me, I just think if we say to people that killing people is wrong, which of course it is, and then our, our solution to that is we're going to kill you for showing that killing people is wrong, it just seems crazy. It mm-hmm. just seems such a stupid argument. I completely agree. And, and one of the things that's so striking when you look at the death penalty in America, which likes to think that it has a very enlightened justice system, um, and then you look at the death penalty in Malawi or in Pakistan or in Indonesia, and, you know, all around the world, there's it's always politically motivated. Mm-hmm. It is always those without the capital who get the punishment, so to speak. So the people who are the most impoverished or the people who are the most disenfranchised or the people who are the most vilified in society, which means that it can then be used as a tool to oppress a whole society. So, you know, it's it's no surprise that we have this big war on drugs and then suddenly now we have hundreds of people being executed for basic drug addiction, if they even did anything at all in lots of countries in the world. We now have the war on terror and that's being used to justify executions of teenagers in Saudi Arabia who attended protests. It's just such a slippery slope. So even if you think in certain circumstances it might be justified, the the ramifications of having mm. a policy that allows us to kill people for the worst 15 minutes of their lives. So, for example, that dance, you know, that's that's <laughs> problematic. I mean, some might not say that. <laughs> but, you know, you can see, you and, can see the extension. Before we get onto the specific work that Reprieve is doing, give us a global picture on this. Because I think I'm right in saying there are some very bad things happening, but it is getting better, the global picture. Absolutely. Every year, more states abolish the death penalty, either in law or in practice, and I'm talking globally. And then in specific countries, we're on the brink of abolition in a number of countries. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that 
you know, when you tell people that you work on the death penalty, people think it's very depressing, but it's actually not. Because if you win more than you lose and you're dealing with saving lives, then that means, you, you know, you, you have an amazing job. You yeah. get to save lives every day. And we're definitely moving in the right direction. I don't think, I think this will be a relic of the and, past. And, and this is one of the questions that we were exploring earlier with our guest from Malaysia, Sivan. Why is it happening? Is it the campaigners? Is it recognition about miscarriages of justice? Is it we're becoming a more humane world, which doesn't it doesn't seem like that yeah. in lots of ways? What what do you think? I think it's a combination of factors, but it doesn't work, right? So anybody who is pro death penalty, I sort of challenge them to say, give give me a really good reason for it. Because it doesn't provide a deterrent effect. It doesn't stop people committing crimes. And it also is costly, um, not just in terms of the expense on the system, but innocent lives and society. So I think as those harms in each country get uh, sort of, as we're able to shine a spotlight on those particular problems in the particular context of the country, people turn away from it because it doesn't make sense. It, it, it does make sense politically. It's a cheap, easy political mm-hmm. fix. But if it becomes more expensive, more difficult and something of a political nightmare, which is our job all the time is to get in the way of that uh, easy solution, then I think people will turn away. And, and that's what we see. We'll get onto some specifics in a sec. But what the what's the sort of tools you use to... Is it different in different countries? Is it using sort of popular support? How, what, what's the so ways of doing it? Definitely different in different countries. But our sort of underlying philosophy is always we have sort of two courts that we're working in. So we've got the court of law, and we can use that in some countries where there is a proper justice system. And we also have the court of public opinion. And we kind of view those equally important, I think it's fair to say, because if you can't take people with you and persuade them, then you're not going to be able to affect the change that you want. And it's certainly true in some countries. Saudi Arabia is a really good example the court of law is kind of next to useless so what we have to use and public for an external for an external organization exactly exactly so what we are able to use in somewhere like saudi arabia is public opinion outside of saudi arabia so in the uk or in america or in other european countries and in the time that you've been at Ripley, which is about two just nearly three years nearly three years i know uh time time flies when you're missing me what's the thing you're proudest of would you say i would say it's probably Andy Saygate being released from death row in Ethiopia. So he is a British Ethiopian man who has lived in uh, Britain for about 30 years, lived in London with his wife, Yemi, and their three children. And Andy was a political activist in Ethiopia. And that's why he'd come to this country, because it was unsafe for him to stay there. And he was given a death sentence in absentia. So basically in his absence, which is illegal under international um, international law. And Andy was kidnapped from an international airport and he was rendered and taken back to Ethiopia where he was held for, for quite... For political activism. For political activism, yeah. basically. Um, and he was held for quite a while without actually his family even knowing where he was. I think they thought he was stuck at the airport. They were trying to get hold of him. And he was held for nearly four years uh, on death row. And actually, it was his amazing wife, Yemi, who wasn't his wife at the time, but they just got married after he was released. Um, Yemi came to our office to see Maya and to see the team and to say, look, can I get your help? And Maya, of course, said, yes, absolutely, we're going to help. And so we, over the last four years, ran a series of really amazing campaigns, both in Parliament, but also um, externally. We did huge amount of public advocacy on his case. And then in May this year, we got a phone call from Yemi to say, I just had a, she just had a phone call from a journalist in Ethiopia to say Andy was being released that weekend. How did it end up happening? I think partly, and Maya, correct me if this is wrong, I think partly the political change within Ethiopia, that is definitely, uh, that is definitely true, but also I think for me, it just is a great example of where 
you don't give up hope and you you make sure that this world's kind of attention is focused on somebody. And so and Ethiopia wanted better relations with other countries, partly? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was keeping it as a political issue. Our strategy, if we can't get into the country, we need to find another lever. Yeah. yeah. And Ethiopia, this is a British citizen, like any one of us yeah. who was sentenced to death yeah. for his, for writing a book, actually, for writing a book called right. Freedom Fighters Who Don't Know What Freedom Is. He's living in London, North London, near here. He gets kidnapped from an airport, rendered to Ethiopia, where he's sitting on death row. And we needed the British government to do more. So we continued to mm-hmm. push the case publicly, politically, legally, uh, as far as we could, and in lots of different fora. Because of that, he wasn't forgotten. And because of that, when there was the opportunity for political change within Ethiopia, the Prime Minister made Andy's case, yeah. you know, a, a key case on which he either took up his position or didn't. He said, Andy needs to be released or I do not do X, Y, Z. I mean, it was amazing. For and now, the Prime Minister of... Of Ethiopia. Right. So now Andy's role, because, you know, he, he, he's, he was always politically active, but there's this international acknowledgement of his status in Ethiopia and outside. And he has this potential to do so much good from having been put through such awful torment. I think that's pretty fascinating and amazing. And that's a case that it was not easy to take on, you know. It was a case where they said, he's a terrorist. This wasn't terrorism. This was a man who had written about the Ethiopian political party parties as they were formed at the time and they didn't like it so we have to be really really careful about how we react when that bogeyman word is used yeah. because the british government were hands off to start with they said well, you know there's nothing we can do he's been sentenced to death by a court we'll maybe try and get consular access that's not okay we're speaking the week when matthew hedges has been sentenced to life in prison in the uae and people may have heard his wife talking about his case and it has raised the issue of the activism or otherwise of the UK government. What is your general experience on this? Is it different in different countries depending on our commercial interests? Ah, we're going it... to be really polite now. Right. Oh, shit. All <laughs> Maybe right, not okay. so much, actually. Maybe we won't be that polite. It is different it is depending different. on our relationship. There are lots of areas where we think they could be doing more. You know, we, ha- we have a principled opposition to the death penalty, I think. Of late, there have been a couple of instances where we might have wavered on that principled, yeah. uncategorical, or categorical rather, opposition. So this is Sajid Javid in relation yeah. to the extradition exactly. to the US. Yeah, but of, also of even even in yeah. Andy's case, the former uh, foreign secretary refused to call for his Boris release. Johnson. Yeah, well, no refused. one called for no his, one release would call his release in the government, uh, politicians would, you know, individual members of parliament from all political parties, they would. But, and I I do feel that there has been a shift actually with the the new foreign secretary. He has been more vocal, obviously, around the case of uh, Matthew in the UAE, but also Nazanin in Iran. These are not cases that we work on because they don't, um, they're not facing the death penalty. But he definitely has been more vocal in saying governments need to, need to act. And I think that feels to me to be a really positive change. And it does make a difference. You know, right. that, that this, that question of, of where the noise comes yes. from, the British government has a right to advocate on behalf of their nationals and also a principled opposition. And the European Union plays an important role absolutely. in this too. Yeah, absolutely. Because they fund campaigns yeah. and they mm-hmm. do advocacy mm-hmm. work. Yeah, they do a huge amount of work uh, about global abolition of the death penalty. Yeah, and they fund a lot of organisations. Talk, talk to us about America, because this is obviously a big focus of your work. It's one of the places where I think I'm right in saying that fewer and fewer states are at least implementing the death penalty. Mm. Yeah. So t- tell us a little bit about what you've been doing there. Well, it's a really it's a really fascinating moment in the US uh, right now. They 
we we're, we're, we do some casework on on individuals, um, but we also look at the method of execution, and they use the lethal injection primarily, although that's now changing in the US. And what what's really fascinating about that is it was brought in as this softer, gentler, more humane, and I'm using inverted commas, way of killing. And and actually, the reality is it's absolutely would be torture. You get traditionally a three drug cocktail of drugs. Um, the first one's meant to put you to sleep, but if it doesn't, the second one paralyzes you. That's purely cosmetic so that we, the spectators, the public, don't have to see any suffering. It doesn't serve a medical function. And then the third drug is just this extremely powerful, potent uh, substance that acts like fire in the blood. One of the Supreme Court justices said it's the chemical equivalent of being burnt alive at the stake from the inside. And so this method, which has been used for years and years and years and years, they started to have trouble in 2010 getting the drugs. And what happened, and this is where I came in and reprieve started working on the case, They, some of the states somehow discovered a supplier working out of a driving school, the back room of a driving school in West London. In Acton. In Acton, West London. It's called Dream Pharma. And, uh, Such a great name. I know, right? <laughs> so, you know, we discovered this and, and, and started investigating the supply chain and found that this guy had sold execution drugs enough to kill hundreds of prisoners to states across the US. They were not FDA approved, which means they weren't, they shouldn't have been allowed into the US in the first place. It did result in some what we call botched executions. And US drug companies were not at that point. At that point, there were some difficulties with manufacturing right. one right. particular drug. So that's why the states right. went to, came to the UK. They came to Acton. Came to Acton. To Dream Farmer, there were these funny disclosures. Now they give me less and less, but at one point we used to get reams of documents where they would have email exchanges between corrections officials, uh, so prison officials. And there were some of these Dream Farmer drugs from Acton. Once we shut them off, we sort of brought a judicial review to get an export control in place. The government put an export control in place because, you know, Britain doesn't support the death penalty by way of providing the drugs for executions. Um, so we won that one. They cut off the supplies. And then you see this scramble in the US where they're all looking for the set, the drug, the Dream Pharma drugs. And some officials in California travel to Arizona and Arizona officials lend them some drugs and they travel back and they document it all because they're trying to prove they've kept chain of custody. And when they get back to California, they write to the folks in Arizona and, and alongside saying, you know, I'll buy you a beer. They say, you guys in AZ are real lifesavers. Oh, my God. No irony. <laughs> Uh, because they provided them with the drugs that they would that they needed to start killing people, they still haven't started killing people. And the and the positive side of this is that, you know, I saw all that happening and traced the supplies and discovered that the companies who make the drugs, who which had ended up via Dream Pharma, in the hands of all these executioners really didn't want their drugs used in executions. They make them, you know, you can imagine the tagline, we save and yeah. improve the lives and yeah. health of so, patients. So basically corporate reputation became a tool to really to reju at, reduce yeah. the use of the death penalty in the US. And it has worked. It has, yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that we've seen, so all of the companies that make execution drugs, which are, of course, medicines yeah. being misused in uh, execution chambers, they all they all oppose the misuse of their medicines. There's now like 50 companies. They've all put controls in place to stop prisons buying the drug. And that's had the impact, of course, cutting off supplies in a number of states, and some states have stopped executing altogether, a majority actually. Other states are fighting legal challenges over new protocols. 
Um, and some states, including the state that invented the lethal injection, have now rejected it altogether. And they've rejected on, on the grounds that they say, one, they can't get the drugs legally, but two, the lethal injection is inhumane. The state that invented the lethal injection said Which earlier this year, that? Oklahoma, right. that they've seen executions in other states by lethal injection. They're not reflecting on themselves, of course. And that looks inhumane. Now, that's really significant yeah. because it's the debunking of the myth of the humane medical execution. Have you got the figures on this as to what the – give us the sort of yeah. head, headlines about what's happened to, in Lowest the US? number of executions in um, the last quarter of a century over the last few years. Over half the stays are because of – stays of execution are because of lethal injection challenges. Only a handful of states are really executing now. And that's – a lot of that's to do with drug problems. And a lot of it is to do with really, really, really good lawyers defending their clients who – I go back to that first point – these are not the worst of the worst necessarily. These are the people who had the worst of the worst lawyers at trial. Yeah. Yeah. They're the yeah. people who get the death penalty. So if we have good lawyers and if they're able to bring the facts to court and if they have time to investigate, then very often death sentences get And is public opinion changing in America? It is changing. That's certainly the case. And it's certainly changing, poll. isn't it, in states where they then don't use the death penalty. Yeah. yeah. That's really interesting because somebody said to me, a doctor actually, who used to be pro-death penalty, he and then he learned about the lethal injection and became anti-death penalty, which is an unusual route in. But he said, you know, I grew up in a state where executions were happening. And if they're happening, you think you need them. It's a bit like any rule that yeah. we have in this country. If it's there, you sort of think, well, well if it weren't there, maybe we'd all fall into anarchy. So if you can show a period of time with no executions and actually crime rates don't go up and actually murder rates maybe go down, then that's very persuasive, I think, emotionally for people. I don't think it's, um, you know, I don't think it's odd that people who've lived in a state where capital punishment exists think that that's necessary. And that maybe takes us back to what we in Britain and other countries that don't have the death penalty can do to say, oh, no, by the way, guys, you know, <laughs> it doesn't, the sky doesn't fall down. And actually, we have a lower crime rate or a lower homicide, serious crime rate in Britain than we do in America. And indeed, in America, the states with the death penalty have a higher murder rate than the yeah. states without. So. And, and what was your role in highlighting this to the drugs companies involved? Well, um, you know, some of the companies didn't know when when states started to use new drugs, the companies, they didn't make those drugs for use in lethal injection. So the first drug, pentobarbital, was manufactured by a company called Lundbeck. I spoke with the company. They had absolutely no idea that this was happening and they were horrified by it. That That is absolutely the case. They are all horrified at the idea of their drugs used to torture and it's kill people. It's a Scandinavian people. company. It happens to be, yeah, it's yeah. in it's in Denmark. So I spent some time with the company and, and some time learning how distribution controls work. It sounds very geeky, but I am very geeky, as Anna will tell you. Um, so I spent many, many nights talking to people, trying to design what would be the perfect distribution controls. Um, the company did not immediately respond to my saying, well, you need to do something about this. And no company had ever done this before. They'd never implemented distribution control. So it's sort of understandable. I, at the time, did not decided that that was not understandable and that I would I would persuade them. And one of the things that um, I did was was to show that the lethal injection um, really is 
inhumane was uh, we did a press conference in Denmark at which I brought a lizard and the lizard. lizard yeah I had a lizard on the table um I had a background in theatre no I have a background in theatre I had very I had lots of the props friends they the managed lizard. to get it didn't come from actors or anything <laughs> <laughs> no I did not transport it over. Yeah. but but what I was saying was that it would be illegal to do to the lizard what you are right. legally obliged to do to a prisoner in the state of Texas when you execute them you know using that paralytic drug that I mentioned that is torture and the American Veterinary Medical Association says you can't right. do it when you euthanize animals. So for anyone who says, well, isn't it just the same as putting your dog down? No, you absolutely wouldn't be allowed to do that. And interestingly, you know, Lundbeck, when they, when I described the distribution controls, they, the CEO, in fact, who I was sitting opposite said, why? Why don't we do that? We should do that. Are you sure it just wasn't that he wanted to get rid of you and the lizard? <laughs> <laughs> the comms director said to me, we had a lovely lunch and all of this was sort of sorted and we had publicly announced that they'd put the controls in place. And the comms person took me aside and said, you know, all of this was great. Really enjoyed working with you. The controls are amazing. Why did you have to bring the lizard, though? <laughs> he was really upset by the lizard. You know, most of our listeners are here in the UK. If they're listening to these stories and feeling inspired by them, are there things, are there things that people can do to support the work that you do and the support the campaigns to abolish the death penalty worldwide? There definitely are. That's a great question. <laughs> so we have a very fantastic website, reprieve.org.uk. And on there, we will run a huge amount of petition campaigns. Um, and they might sound a bit, oh, OK, yeah, sign a petition. But actually, they definitely make a difference. And then going back to the thing I talked about earlier on Saudi Arabia, where it's very hard for us in Britain to do anything um, sort of legally in the country, what we can do is get people to put pressure. And so we earlier this year delivered a petition to the Saudi embassy. They wouldn't take it. Maya went with Bianca Jagger and they refused uh, to take the petition, but it had 100,000 people had signed a petition to call for um, Saudi Arabia to not execute young people. So we've identified 18 young Young, uh, men now, but they were boys and teenagers when they were sentenced to death, many of whom uh, were sentenced to death for their political activism. One of them was sentenced to death because he'd administered a Facebook group. So this is you know, pretty horrific. He was actually on his way uh, to the airport where he was going to go and take up a place at a university in America on a sports scholarship. He's 17 years old, Mushaba, and he was arrested on his way to the airport. And it is, I firmly believe because of the work of Reprieve and other human rights organisations that those boys are still alive in Saudi Arabia because we have shown people in Saudi Arabia that we are watching and that the UK government and other governments are not going to let this happen. And so signing petitions, writing to your member of parliament, I know MPs get shed loads of letters from people all the time, but actually saying to your MP, you've got to raise this, you've got to stop these executions from happening. The British government does have influence in Saudi Arabia and in many of the other countries where we work, particularly in the Middle East. And so what people can do is um, go to our website, look at our campaigns, sign our petitions. But also the, the other thing that we do quite a bit of is when we've got people who are in prison facing death sentences is we will send them a birthday card on their birthday. We will get thousands of people to send them a birthday card. And I know some people think, oh, it's a bit naff. It's not going to work. But actually, last year, we helped secure the release of a young Irish man called Ibrahim Halawa. And Ibrahim was 17 when he was arrested in in Egypt. He was on holiday uh, visiting family and he was rounded up on a protest in Cairo. And he spent nearly four years, I think, facing a death sentence. And we sent him a letter, a card signed by 15,000 people for his 21st birthday. And we didn't know if he got it or not. 
And last year he was released and he came into our office to thank us. And he said, the thing that gave me hope when I had lost hope was opening your birthday card. And that was amazing. I mean, we were all sort of slightly in floods of tears at that point, but that was incredible. And he said the Irish uh, consul gave it to him and they said, but we're going to have to take it away, but you can have a look at it and you can see. And he read these messages and he said, at that point, I was on the brink of giving up. And I, I do think those things can make a difference to the individuals, but absolutely make a difference to the cases. And we've got one other question, which is we have this thing on the podcast called the Jeffocracy, um, which is Jeff as the sort of benign dictator. Nice. He definitely's not going to have the death penalty. No, no. Um, <laughs> let's say he appoints you as his sort of death penalty envoys or anti-death penalty envoys, but better, better put. Would you, uh, be, would you be the dancing? Envoy. I'm going to be his sort of advisor. 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 Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, I've never said that. Uh, <laughs> you well, I'm, like I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm applying for the job as his advisor. Um, uh, so, um, what, what, what's the thing you would do? What, what's the thing you'd be telling him to do? What's the thing you would be you'd be Sport doing? Sport reprieve. Yeah, no, indeed. <laughs> but in just maybe partly on the subject of British influence and you know the British government, you're controlling the British. I mean, I know it's a scary thought, although not as scary as the current situation <laughs> uh, that Jeff controls the British government. But what 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 could be do, what what more could be being done? I would say, look, the British government have enormous influence around the world, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but they do. And I think the British government should stand by their principles. So if we have uh, a principle of being opposed to the death penalty, which we've had in this country since it was abolished in the 1960s, then we need to stand behind that. And if that is saying to other countries where they are using... uh, the death penalty as a form of repression and a political tool, then we need to tell people that that's wrong. And I don't think there's anything colonial or wrong about saying that. I think that's using our influence for for good. And it does work. Yeah, it absolutely does work. Like the case I said in Saudi Arabia or certainly in other countries, it, it does work. And it doesn't work in every country, that is fair to say. And you have to do that um, kind of country by country. But I think the British government should absolutely stand by its principles. And when British citizens are facing terrible situations overseas, whether that was the case of Andy in Ethiopia, or Matthew in the UAE or Nazanin in Iran, it's absolutely right that the British government say it's wrong that British citizens are treated like this. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's also supporting supporting the organisations on the ground. You know, that's what we try to do all the time is partner up because you can understand the situation on the ground and change it by mm-hmm. working with the people who are experiencing it. And and they need that external support. It's not a colonial thing. It's actually, you know, if we can boost the case of a guy and a kid in Saudi Arabia who was dragged from his bed and, you know, brutally tortured and sentenced to crucifixion, we should be doing that. And, and you know, people in positions of power in government like Jeff should be uh, helping. <laughs> I like Jeff. I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. We're in. Myra and Anna, thank you so much for joining us. Thank, thank you very you. much. Hello. Hello, it's me. Hi. Um, we forgot to do the bit on this week's podcast where after the discussion we kind of summarise it and say what we thought. Is this where we pretend that we're doing a call where we've just worked it out? I think so because it would. I think it would sound strange if we just recorded it and didn't yeah. acknowledge the fact that you're on the phone. I think we've got to break down the fourth wall. Yes. And we've got to admit to the fact that mm. we found out three days ago. We don't, we don't want to patronise them. And I think those things where it's like bring, bring, yeah. you know, hello, yes. oh, we forgot to, it's just a bit sort of passe, really. It was going to be done with a wink to the listener, assuming that they would know um, it was all sort of done tongue-in-cheek. Oh, I see. Well, should we do it all again, then? No, no, this is fine. 
Um, so, so, what did you think of the episode? Well, I mean, I, 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 I'm struggling to think, of, even more than usual, I'm struggling to think of anything that isn't inane, because, of course, the work that they're doing at Reprieve is incredible, and the fact that more and more countries are abolishing the death penalty is, is just a positive thing. There's no other way of looking at it, really. I, I think that's right, and I think it's something about the fact that this is just... You know, this is incredibly hard work, but that they're doing. But it's sort of, it's kind of uncomplicated. I don't mean it's uncomplicated the work. I mean it's uncomplicated in the cause. You know what I mean? Mm. The death penalty is awful, and they're trying to stop it, and they are making a difference. And I think, I think the sort of message it sends is, you know, I, I'd really encourage people to get involved with reprieve campaigns or others campaigns. But I suppose what struck me about the discussion is. I thought they might be saying, look, external pressure is often counterproductive, uh, you know, and it kind of makes pe- people or at least you know, you could imagine people might think that. But it, obviously not. External pressure really makes a difference. And actually, external pressure from Britain makes a difference. So putting pressure on our politicians or other countries is really important. Reasons to be cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So if you have any thoughts on what you've heard or actually stories of campaigns that you've been yeah. involved in that have made a difference, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at cheerfulpodcast. Uh, we're on Instagram too. It's the same. And on Facebook, facebook.com, stroke reasons to be cheerful podcast. Let's have a look. This comes from J.R. Ryan, who says, hello, I was recently in conversation with former Green Party leader, Natalie Bennett, and another person. And they mentioned that whilst interviewing Yuval Noah that means they listen that's nice hello natalie yeah hello natalie yeah shout out to natalie and the other person the unnamed person yeah and jr um wondered aloud why no one had created an app to identify propaganda and how it affects people i just wanted to say that i have um wow jr continues i'm an educator 
and multidisciplinary designer, and I've created a system of anti-propaganda that I call Reset Propaganda. I gave it this name uh, because its aim is to use the common tools of persuasion and psychological manipulation found in all forms of propaganda and marketing to highlight our biases, provide alternative narratives, and show how these tools are used to manipulate us, thereby revealing methods to look out for in the future. Uh, this one comes from Rachel Sedgwick. It's on the three-day weekend. And she says, hi, I'm a bit behind the times, but I've just binged your podcasts. And I thought there were some interesting points around the three-day weekend. When you think about it in reference to the Google model, i.e. the four-day week model is to have staff in less often but promote more productivity. Would you create a workplace environment then with fewer collaboration zones and perks such as massages, etc.? Because that runs in entire contradiction to the way most modern certainly within tech companies set themselves up as places where staff stay for as long as possible, potentially all through the night, but have access to nap pods, in-house bars, internal restaurants, ping pong tables, gyms, etc. I just thought it was interesting that both these employer focuses are trying to achieve the same thing, but one encourages staff to stay for as long as possible and creates distraction, one dictating as few hours as possible with no distractions. I think it is interesting because I think Bloomberg set up in King's Cross and I think they made a big thing that they weren't going to have in-house diddly-doos because in-house diddly-doos yeah, you say yeah. you know because but you know canteens yes. massage gyms blah because they wanted people to get out and about into the community and they didn't necessarily want everyone to stay at work for ages yeah it would be interesting to see if there's any data on that silicon valley tech company model of stuffing workplaces I mean, I t- with fun yeah i there. tend to think maybe they want to treat their employees well but also maybe they want to just keep them there for oh, as definitely. long as possible yeah, yeah, definitely definitely and this comes from dan in sambach and the subject line is an apology of sorts he says i'm a relative newbie to the podcast phenomenon and came to your podcast via a guardian article and he, he talks a little bit about podcast then he says and now for my apology I am a reformed mind, I feel. The subject's touched on with regards to media forcing a narrative upon its readers and whatnot really struck a chord. I feel these narratives were strong well before the referendum, even within the mainstream media, and were really coming to the fore as Ed's leadership of the Labour Party was happening. He says, I watch back Ed's speeches now, and I think what an inspirational person he is and was, and yet when I watched them at the time, my I know best mindset made it almost impossible to appreciate and empathize does this fill you a joy that somebody is watching your old speeches yes at least somebody is what was it you said banging on or something i don't know <laughs> i said banging on droning with, on i said droning, sorry, droning sorry. on with regards to speeches droning. and because of your own baggage you thought i was talking about your speeches droning on <laughs> Send us your ideas or suggest a guest for a future episode. Email reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook or tweet at Cheerful Podcast. And joining us with some ideas that could be potential reasons to be cheerful, comedian Lauren Pattinson. Hello. Hello. Hiya. Uh, Hi. Thank, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having us. What's going on with you at the minute? I'm doing my show that I did in Edinburgh, just here, there and everywhere. thought I would sort of sort it all out myself, thinking that was a really cool thing to do and I'm like it's a lot of admin I can see why normally I let someone do this for us <laughs> <laughs> and and do you do you drive I don't which makes everything just so, that bit harder oh god so you're sort of coordinating trains a lot like... of trains a right. lot of trains right I feel like they need to do train points like they do air miles that's a great idea actually yeah. good idea that's yeah good exactly. idea because I never use air miles I never leave the country train points 
What a great That's idea. Funny. Definitely. So, Lauren, you brought in some ideas which could be potential yeah. reasons to be cheerful. What's, what's your first one? Well, first one is actually travel-related. I want quiet zones and child-free zones on, like, planes, trains, automobiles. Oh, what about the poor kids? They can shut up and sit somewhere else. Kiddies yeah. carried. I think there's nothing that stresses me out more than when I sit in the quiet coach and no. get my little Let bit Let me tell out. you what's more stressful than that. Yeah. Getting onto a plane with a baby that's making noise and yeah. being self-conscious you're responsible about it. For it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, if they had, like, sort of parent and child zones, it would be more chill for the parents because they're like, my baby can make as much noise as they want. I kind of want to pretend that I don't agree, but yeah. I sort of do, really. Not necessarily even, like, child, but maybe if we spin it the other way and be, like, parent and baby zones. So right. Like, what's, yeah. the age, what's the age cut off? Under oh, five? 13. 13. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 18. Yeah. I hate getting on the quiet coach and someone gets on for baby. I'm like, you know that baby ain't going to be quiet. You go on to the quiet coach, do you? Yeah. I always try and avoid the quiet coach. I love coach. the quiet coach. Yeah, I like the quiet coach. Yeah. yeah. And I think, because I'm no. like, there shouldn't be any kids there, but someone always No chance of anyone talking on. to you. Exactly. exactly. Are you quite an introvert then? Very introverted. Oh, really? Yeah. So yeah. The, being a stand-up comic is obviously the... the the right thing to do. Yeah, definitely. Like, I hate people looking at us. I don't like being centre of attention. I don't exactly. really like talking to people. So I've really picked, like, the most appropriate career path. But I think part of being an introvert but being a performer of some kind yeah. is you're in control. Yeah, definitely. You know, you're doing it on your own terms, like you've aren't you? you built your own little environment to be like, I can be this person for 20 minutes. Yeah. And then someone comes up to you after and I'm like, uh, the 20 minutes are over. No, I can't well, be that person anymore. Maybe Coach B should be renamed the introvert. Coach. Yes. Yeah. I mean, just like abandon this quiet sort of, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. facade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the coach thing. for introverts, extroverts. Yes. But maybe that's good that you have one coach which is an extrovert coach. Yes. Where I can go and like have chats with people. Yeah. And one introvert coach. And then you've got sort of the middle ground. Yeah. I think finally we've hit on the yeah, perfect well, version of this. I want to get rid of first class. Yeah. Add an introvert coach and an extrovert coach. I'm into it. Yeah, I'm definitely. We've finally, okay, we've, we've, we've been travel. working through good. this for over a year. I think we've finally got there with good. it. Good. All right. Uh, what's your next idea, Lauren? I was watching the Lego movie with mm. my nephew. It's very good. You know how they have How old is your nephew? He's seven. Right. Very cute. Do you ever travel on trains with him? <laughs> oh, no. I get on the bus. I remember once getting on the bus with him when he was really little. Like, walking age. He didn't need a buggy. He must be maybe four or five. And he fell asleep with his eyes open. So I was just prodding him. And I was like, Matthew, Matthew. And he's just not answering. And it was the creepiest thing I'd ever seen. Weird. And I just had to, like, carry him off the bus. And then he woke up in my arms and just, like, jolted. And he went, I think I fell asleep. And I was like, you did, mate. It was very <laughs> weird. So, like, re- wow. eyes wow. wide open, like, oh. glazed over. Have you ever, have you ever seen that? No, no. Only, so only in, like, horror films. He's a demon. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is he possessed? <laughs> I think that was that the first sign on. that yeah. my sister has birthed a demon. Yeah. Um, but we were watching the Lego movie, and I love how they have Taco Tuesday, and it brings everyone together. Neighbors. Okay, I confess I'm now confused. Yeah. Did you that is the introvert's nightmare, though? But it's nice to have one day where everyone's like... But would you want every Tuesday? Maybe like every other Tuesday. <laughs> Biannual Taco Tuesday. Would you like stay in your house and just like not go out and let other people do it? I kind of like feeling part of something. Oh, so right. I kind of... So that is not like Jeff. Yeah, no, I no. Just... I wish people well. I just yeah. don't want to join in. You're happy for them yeah. to have street parties. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not with you. Before, I'm happy to look out the window and see everybody enjoying themselves yeah. and think, what a, what a, what a lovely you, community you, I live in. So you want to bring the communities together. I think yeah. it's good. I think we need something... Like in the Lego movie, that brings everyone together. A little bit of community spirit. 
Just, I think I'd be very you're nice. sort of an extrovert introvert. I think I am, yeah. All right, have you got one last idea, Lauren? I do. And I know it's kind of already sort of a thing, but I want to make it more of a thing. Um, I think young people need to get more involved with politics, and that would make the world a better place. Do you say this as a young person? I say this as a young person. A yeah. certified From young one person. young person to another. To another. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the problem is... She laughed, actually. And she wasn't <laughs> laughing with you, actually. No, I think she was. Yeah. No, no, she was laughing at you, actually. Yeah, it's too confusing, and it's not accessible enough, so we need to think, how can we get politics to young people... Young people love Love Island. I love Love Island. And I get so behind people on reality TV shows that I think we need to sneak politicians like into Love Island, into the circle, and then people will find themselves getting really like behind these people and not realising that they're learning about politics. It's funny you should say that because I was listening to The Archers on the way here Uh and Brian and David are going to a seminar on the opportunities and challenges of Brexit. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. So when people say... Ed, if you were to yeah. do I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, you would have a wider audience than you'd ever have and you, you could be able to get your message across to the yeah. electorate. What's your excuse for not doing it? Or what's your reason? <laughs> what's, why, why is that a nonsense? I mean, Don't want to we eat all know. insects. Right. So, so not eating insects is more important yeah, than getting your message across to the electorate. And that's the thing. Could I go on with like a sort of PowerPoint presentation <laughs> yeah, the yeah, universal yeah, basic yeah. income? You know, Can everyone gather around the 50, pool, please? 50, 50, 50 <laughs> slides. What do you think, Jeff? I'm just but trying so, to get the young people so what's engaged the, in politics the, What's yet? the options? So I'm a celebrity. Yeah. Nope. Yeah, Strictly has has been done. Strictly has been done. Big Brothers doesn't exist. Mm. Love Island. It seems like that's your option, Ed. Well, I'm not going on Love Island. I can officially announce it. We tried. Damn it. We tried tried. so hard. But I don't mind doing a cameo PowerPoint presentation. (laughs) (laughs) Could be like a weekly challenge. Miller Band Mondays. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, if they lose the challenge, they get to watch that. (laughs) Lauren, if people want to come and see you, how can they find out about this tour that you've decided to undertake yourself including yeah. public transport yeah, logistics can, um, and so on you can probably find me on a train in the quiet, quiet coach, coach yeah the, intro, <laughs> the introvert coach um but if you follow me on twitter at lauren patterson then uh, i post everything on there lauren <laughs> thanks so much thank you cheers reasons to be cheerful with ed milliband and jeff lloyd we're in the outro I know what I want for Christmas, by the way. Oh, go on. So this man called Mr. Alhusen, I think that's how you pronounce his name, has published a book about words that are going out of fashion. So words that are sort of disappearing from the English language. And sort of remarkably or not remarkably, they seem to be mostly words that I use. <laughs> uh, I'll just give you a little sample. Lickspittle, definitely one of mine. Really? Gadzooks. Gadzooks de- sounds like de- one of yours. Definitely yeah. one of mine. Uh, pettifogging, nincompoop, rumpus. I mean, I think, they're, I think they're all words that I would definitely use. I don't know whether crumbs is going out of fashion. Yeah, crikey, diddly do, yeah, diddly do, waffle rooney. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm obviously sort of part of planned obsolescence. You're, I mean, you're preserving, you're pre- you're oh, preserving these words for yeah. future generations. Do you think that's right? Yeah, yeah I think that's, that's the way to ro- frame it. To think about it. That's my role in life. Yes. But yeah. anyway, so that's my bid for a Christmas present. What would you like for Christmas? World peace. I'd, I'd like a recording of you saying all these words for posterity oh. so that they're not lost. We could, we could do a, a Reason to be Cheerful time capsule, you know, like they did on Blue That's Peter, true. where they buried one. We could bury something in my back garden That's with uh, all your, your strange words That's and mannerisms. True. Ceremonial. Yes. That's not a bad idea. Should we do our thank yous? Yes. So I'd like to thank Sivan Dorisami, Anna Yearly, and Maya Foa. And thanks to Lauren Patterson, who you can find on Twitter and in the nation's comedy nights up and down the country. 
Emma Corsham produced our podcast. Gail Lofthouse is our announcer. James Deacon made the idents. Ed Seed composed the music. And the artwork. Uh, uh, so he's been Mr. Waffly Rooney. He's been Mr. Diddly Do at the Leisure Centre. <laughs> These have been reasons to be cheerful. 